Good morning, and welcome as you return to a seat, <laughs> anyone you want. We're starting a new series this morning called What God Are You Talking About? If you're following along with our journal, it's, uh, be, the introduction to the series is in page 23, and there's plenty of space for you to write your reflections, thoughts, ideas that come to you as we teach our way through the series, remembering that really what we're always trying to do in our sermons is begin the conversation. And hopefully some of the thoughts and ideas that come to you as we talk that you write down can be things you reflect on as your week continues. Uh, I want to locate the series as well. The journal sort of tracks through a series of ideas, and and perhaps it's helpful just to begin by noting that we began our journal series this year with with a, a teaching series called Chase the Good. Uh, the idea of that series was to set out the sort of attitude that we want to hold in the world today to, to intentionally pursue the good in things rather than what everybody else seems to be doing. This then led us to the series we just finished last week called The Age of the Algorithm, where I hope what you sort of took from that series, amongst other things, that, that basically many of humanity's problems are rooted in this observation that we actually see in Genesis that humans like to put ourselves at the center of the story and not God. Of course, this creates a new problem for us, uh, and that problem is very well then that God needs to be at the center of the story, but what God are you talking about? Now, it's not, or rather it shouldn't be, unusual for a church to talk about God. And whenever a church does talk about God, in fact, whenever you talk about God, you are essentially doing theology. Theology is God talk. And often that word theology has a sort of strange mystique to it that we can sometimes sit a little uncomfortable with. But theology is to talk about God. But while we do a lot of God talk, we don't often pause long enough to ask the question that we put from this series, which is what God are you talking about? Because you've undoubtedly been in the situation wherein someone is talking about God. And you'll notice in English there's a slight problem because we use this word God very broadly and widely. So you hear one person talking about God and another person talking about God, but are they talking about the same thing? And undoubtedly you've been in that moment where somebody is talking about God and you find yourself thinking, that isn't how I think about God. That's not what I understand God to be like. In his, uh, in his book uh, about God, Rob Bell said this. You'll rec- if you've read the journal, you'll notice we use this quote on the intro page from the journal. Bell says this, from people risking their lives to serve the poor because they believe God called them to do it, to pastors claiming that the latest tornado or hurricane or earthquake is God's judgment, to professors proclaiming that God has only ever been a figment of our imagination, To people in a recovery meeting, sitting in a circle, drinking bad coffee, and talking about surrendering to a higher power. To musicians in their acceptance speech and award show thanking God for their hit song about a late night booty call. (laughs) When it comes to God, we are all over the place. Now the astute reader of the journal will notice I edited the booty call line from the journal. And right about now I'm thinking I probably should have done the same in my sermon as well. When it comes to God, perhaps the question we should ask is, what is God like? Because clearly the word God is being used in multiple different ways, and we're not all meaning the same thing. Think about it like this. If we don't know what God we're talking about, 
and we don't know what that God is like that we're talking about, then how can we talk accurately about God? We run the risk of what Karl Barth says we often run the risk of, is that when we talk about God, we're really just talking about ourselves in a loud voice. Too much theology is us talking about ourselves in a loud voice. Sometimes sexist, racist, uncaring, exclusionary, ungracious ideas are often expressed about what God apparently thinks about something. Yet it's remarkable how often the ugly ideas about God seem to line up with the speaker who's saying the ugly things about God. Rarely do you hear somebody saying, I think this about God and I don't like it, but I'm just telling you that's what I think about God. The harmony between how we talk about God and how we think about ourselves is often why, as Bart says, when we talk about God, it might just be us talking about ourselves in a loud voice. Or perhaps to use a quote that I have overused, I confess that to you, but I still think it has value, so I keep bringing it. <laughs> Anne Lamott's beautiful quote, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people as you. So is there a way to know anything about God? Is there a way to talk about God with any sense of confidence, or, or dare we even say it, with any sense of authority? In the Jewish traditions, it's common to begin every day reciting the Shema. The Shema is this little section from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It's known as the Shema because that's the Hebrew word that we translate here, here. It's the first word of this little statement that we make. Hear, O Israel, listen, Israel, the prayer begins. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now think about that. The Jewish tradition begins each day with a statement about what God is like. We start our day with a statement about what God is like and we follow that with an instruction about how we should live as a result of what we say God is like. Some people would tell you that we all live every single moment of every day based on what we think God is like, whether intentionally or not. Jewish people actually write this prayer on these days paper in, in, in older times, parchment, and they would roll it up, and, and it's called a claf, this little roll of this particular prayer, and then they would put it in a decorative case called the mezuzah and stick it to their doorpost. Mezuzah just means doorpost. So that not only do they begin the day with this confession, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, but every time they enter through a doorway into a new house or leave a doorway to go out into the world, they are reminded, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The centrality of God is remembered. The nature of God is remembered as we head into our day. But can Christians say anything with confidence about God? Yes. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> But Christians say things confidently with God, about God in a very specific way. There is a way that Christians talk about God. In 1 Corinthians, St. Paul was writing to a church that had many, many similarities to the present day church, more than we would be comfortable to admit, to be fair. 
And if you read Corinthians, you'll know what I mean about that. But while Paul was writing to this church in Corinth, Paul, a Jewish thinker uh, who has encountered some change in his life, he formulates a piece of God talk, or theology if you're more comfortable with that term, a piece of God talk that is both extraordinary and also useful to us today. St. Paul says this in chapter 8 of his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, it might not be immediately apparent what Paul has done here, but I'm hoping the way that we've kind of came to this text might just trigger the lights on your dashboard to flash a little bit because you're like, wait a minute, I feel like I've seen that before. See, because sometimes we downplay this word Lord, but if you come to it the way Paul will have come to this, having having said Shema every day, having entered a doorpost of every Jewish house with the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one. Notice what Paul has done here. Keep the Shema in mind, this elemental Jewish confession. Paul takes this and distributes God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord and God, we say. Paul now distributes this between the Father and the Son, while simultaneously holding on to the unity of Father and Son. Notice what he does. From whom all things came, through whom all things came, for whom we live, through whom we live. The work of creation is the work of God for a Jewish thinker. And here, Paul somehow, in in his very deep and perhaps we might even say paradoxical way, confesses the oneness of God is shared or split or, or held in unity between Jesus and the Father. For Paul, when he talks about God, he talks about Jesus. Because for Paul, God is Jesus, or Jesus is God. On this basis, Professor Douglas Campbell offers us this reflection. The question, what is God like, is one of the most important questions that we will ever ask. It is clear that Jesus will reveal God definitively and decisively as God. He is God, a momentous assertion. So to look at Jesus and to see what he is like is to look at God to see what he is like. God is not reducible to Jesus, but if Jesus is God and if God is one, then the rest of God will not be fundamentally different from Jesus. If Jesus is not God all the way down, then we are still lost in our own world with all its fantasies and illusions. We have no direct contact with God, and we do not know what God is really like. So wait. Have we just spent 10 minutes of a sermon in a Christian church on a Sunday morning to get to the point that I have assessed that Jesus is God? Yes. (laughs) If that's where you think we are at the sermon, you're tracking with me perfectly. (laughs) But let's be careful. Because I would suggest to you that many, if not maybe even all, but let's just go with many to not overstate the point, Many of the problems with Christian theology today are the result of the answer to this question not being remembered or just being abandoned. 
It is at some level the most basic of all Christian confessions. Jesus is God. But we forget it all the time. We live as though it's not entirely true. We talk as though it's not entirely true. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, it's fine what you're saying about Jesus, but what about the God of the Old Testament? As if there's a God here and then another God here. Like, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, but to really know more about God, you have to see all these different aspects of God that you see in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard anybody say that (laughs) from a pulpit? Or perhaps you've heard somebody say something like this, well, you know, I get what you're saying about Jesus, and how Jesus appears to be loving and welcoming, you know, but God, God is like, and then insert whatever scary term that we often use to talk about God, where we, we talk sometimes as if there's Jesus, but to really know God, there's other things beyond Jesus that you need to know. Have you ever heard anybody talk like that? Or perhaps you've heard somebody talk about God, and their way of talking about God is to try and find something metaphorical to talk about God. You know, God is like, and then fill in whatever you want after that. God is like, God is like someone's mother, or God is like the sunset that brings light to the world, or God is like warmth and depth. And all of these things might be metaphorical ways to speak about God. But it's interesting to note that the writers of the New Testament never talk about God that way. See, because the difficulty for many of us is that we live within a premise that we say God is beyond us and God is other to us. Therefore, we're always going to struggle to talk accurately about God. Perhaps you've heard somebody say that. Perhaps you've thought that yourself at some point, that it's hard to talk about God because God is beyond us. But the confession you find in the New Testament is that God was beyond us, but God bridged the gap between us and him, not by inviting us to come towards him, but he came to us in Christ and lived amongst us. Maybe God was beyond us, but in Jesus, God is with us and present to us and knowable. And this, again, is very basic Christian theology. And you're looking at me thinking, am I supposed to be thinking this is complex? And I want to speak. This is not. This is actually just where... Pick a page random from the New Testament. It seems to speak this way, that God has revealed himself to us as Jesus. What an incredible gift, by the way. If you think about what we're actually saying. It's so familiar to us that we sometimes miss just how profound this idea is that a group of people in the 21st century have gathered themselves together into a room, perhaps by habit, perhaps because you had nothing better to do, perhaps because your favorite restaurant doesn't open till 12.15 and you woke up early. I don't know why you came into this room, but probably somewhere in there is that somewhere in your life is this confession that God became human and lived amongst us. But we forget that quite often. And it's not just Paul that thinks this, by the way. Look at the writer to the Hebrews. This is how the writer to the Hebrews opens the letter. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know it wasn't Paul. We don't know who it was. Whoever it was, she was brilliant. And uh, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets uh, many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Hear that language again? The, the, if you're in a Jewish background, God is the creator. But here we're talking about Jesus as creator. Unity somehow in all of that. But just in case, just in case you don't get it, the Hebrews 
writer offers you verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun is the exact representation of God's being. So God talk for Christians is actually Jesus talk. All theology is actually Christology. We begin with Jesus. And it's actually a deeply Christian thing to confess that any God talk that is not Jesus talk, in some very real sense, is not God talk. So when you hear people sometimes say, as I've heard a lot, I'm sure you have as well, well, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, but there's more to know about God than Jesus. Just confess to yourself at that moment that whatever is said after that is not what we call Christian. Because Jesus is the exact representation of God. Whatever we can say about Jesus, our confession begins that he is God. Think about the creed that we often say. The Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I'm hoping it's beginning to kind of seep into your memory, sort of you just know that phrase. But think about it. I believe in God the Father. The first thing that we confess about Jesus actually comes in the form of a confession about God, God the Father, but he's the Father because of the Son. So even our description about God the Father is intrinsically linked to the fact that Jesus is the Son. I mean, this sermon is super shocking so far, right? <laughs> just, like, just like Jesus is God, and we're going to say that a few times. But let's think just a little bit more about it. The revelation of God in Christ also invites us to reorientate how we think. Not just how we think about God, how we think about everything. See, the classic assumption that most of us work with is that we learn and gain knowledge by pursuing it. That you start from a position of not knowing things and you work your way towards a place of knowing things. That's the kind of basic model. It's how we build our schools. It's, it's kind of how we do everything. You move from not knowing to knowing. And most of us build our theological houses the same way. Caution, however, if we're not careful, we start to do with our theology the very thing, same thing we talked about in our last series about humans, that we put ourselves at the center of our theology. See, Christian theology places God at the center. God is not something that we come to and discover, but rather God is something that has been revealed to us. We didn't find God, God found us. I know it's not even Halloween yet, but Christmas is coming. Didn't feel like there was enough anxiety in this sermon so far, so there you go. God bless you. <laughs> Think about Christmas. Christmas is a story that is so deeply familiar to us that we forget how profound it tells us how we should think. Nobody was looking for God in a manger in Bethlehem. It's not where you go looking for God. The Christian story is based and rooted in this idea that God came to us because if it were left up to us to find him, we would not. God is revealing himself to us. He is being found not by us, but he is finding us. But this philosophical reorientation of our lives actually moves us from thinking that truth and, and faith and all these sorts of things are things that we find and move into, but rather a confession that God has revealed it to us. 
The idea that you can step away from knowledge as something that you move from A to B from, and rather that knowledge of God is something revealed to you, is essentially what we call faith. Faith is to accept that you're looking at the world differently, that you're building your idea of how the world works, not from things you have learned along the way, but from something that God has revealed to you. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, (laughs) if that was God born and become flesh amongst us, if he lived, died, and was raised from the dead, then the Christian confession says that the way we think about the whole world now needs to be different. Another way to explain it perhaps is like this. Most of us as Christians, we learn about truth. Somewhere along the line, somebody taught you about truth. And truth is something then that you use to assess everything else by. And it's a pretty normal experience for most of us in our day-to-day world. We live with an idea of what we think is true, and then we move our way through the world making assessments of all the things that we come into contact with on the basis of whether we think they're true or not. Yeah? But this is not actually how Christians think. Because what happens if we're not careful with that is eventually we come to Jesus, and we make a truth judgment on Jesus based on what we know. Okay, which sounds very normal, right? But just notice what you've done when you do that. You've placed yourself back in the center. And now you've decided that you'll be the judge of what's true, and you'll therefore decide what you think of Jesus on the basis of what you think is true. But to confess Jesus is Lord is to actually make that truth the center of your world and now judge everything else on that basis. All other truth claims will be judged based on Jesus being Lord. Let's take something simple and easy to use as an example. The resurrection. Um, Did it happen? (laughs) Is it true? Well, if you decide truth for yourself, you're going to struggle with the resurrection. Here's why. Because when people die, they tend to be dead. People have known this for many centuries. It's not new. Uh, We didn't discover this recently. Uh, In fact, even the followers of Jesus, they were aware that the best science of their time told them that when people die, they stay dead. Which, by the way, side note, is why they were all surprised when Jesus came back. That was funnier than that. (laughs) And sometimes you just have to make a truth statement that that was funny, and even if you don't think it was, I'm going to (laughs) laugh. They didn't expect to see Jesus. They were surprised to see Jesus. They didn't understand that Jesus was coming back from the dead, but some of this was rooted in the fact that the world they lived in, the truth claims that were made, was that life moves from life to death, and death ends that. So when they went fishing one morning, they did not expect to see Jesus barbecuing fish waiting for them. But when people start to barbecue fish, there's many things you can say about that, but one is they're alive. Uh-huh. <laughs> that you think's funny. Okay, so. <laughs> but notice what the apostles did. Notice what the early disciples did. Is when they see the Jesus barbecuing fish, they change their worldview. Even though they know that dead people don't come back to life, because they've placed Jesus at the center of their world, they redefine what they think is true. They redefine what they think is possible on the basis of Jesus. Fact biology, all these things come second 
to the confession that Jesus is the truth. Think about it. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And actually, I would suggest to you, and I'd love you to reflect on this throughout your week, I wonder if many of us are more comfortable with the idea that Jesus is God than we are with the idea that Jesus is also truth. I wonder if we might find it easier to cope with the incarnation as God become flesh than the idea that also in the confession of the lordship of Jesus is the lens through which I judge the world. The lens through which I assess truth claims is now Jesus and not something else. One of my uh, professors once said to us that regularly you'll encounter people who will say to you, well, one of my problems is I struggle to believe the resurrection because, because when, when people die, they tend to stay dead, which, of course, again, is a confession that even people in the Bible were aware of. And my professor said his response to that is also is to point out that once you've said Jesus is Lord and he's the center of your truth, you don't believe in a world where the resurrection doesn't happen. Too often, we're actually putting our view of truth above our beliefs about Jesus. And really to be Christian is to ask you to do something which is quite difficult because of every other influence you have in your life, but is actually to judge everything, including truth, via Jesus and not the other way around. I'm gonna invite my friend Dave to come up and dialogue a little bit with me, and I'd love to hear what you think about the sort of conversation we're having. Um, I think there's, on one hand, this is kind of really basic and simple, and on another hand, I wonder if there's not some questions stirring in you. Um, if you have a question, put up your hand. Uh, one of our team will come and, uh, and take uh, your question from you just by giving you the microphone. Uh, if you have a really difficult question, then Phil is teaching for us next week, and he loves difficult questions, so he's totally happy to just for you to defer that question for him. Um, that's what we agreed, wasn't it? So, anyway, this is Dave, by the way. If you've not met Dave yet, please do. Um, yes. Nice. Nice. We're family. Um, and, uh, Dave has joined the team just in September as, as one of our pastors here. Uh, if you've not had a chance to say hi to him, he moves like a ninja through the service. You'll just be sat there, and then he'll be there introducing himself to you. Take him for a coffee at some point. He promises me he'll pay. And um, just get to know him and, and just explore a little bit uh, with him. But, yeah, welcome, Dave. Uh, yeah, thank while you. Thank perhaps you. some people are thinking about some questions, perhaps you have some thoughts sure. that you'd like to share. Yeah, yeah, I've been thinking... Um about this, um, to be honest with you, largely in terms of my own story. So I think about um, this idea of, of um, you know, our faith-seeking understanding in, of who God is and realizing that that is most, most clearly articulated to us. God reveals who he is in the person of Jesus. And I've been sat here thinking that, you know, I've, I've been a Christian a long time. Um, I probably went 25 years in my life with Jesus or more thinking I... I knew what he was like. You know, I used all these words to describe him. And then something happens in your life where you, you read the scripture in a new way and the spirit opens it to you in a new way and you're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is so much more than I realized. It's almost like I didn't even know him before though I was using all this language. And there's this sense of as, you, as, we, as we journey with the Lord and as we walk with him, he reveals more of who he is and we, we see him as truth, you know. He is truth in himself and he guides us into truth by his spirit. 
So I'm thinking about that as the, mm. the journey of kind of like the sort of, could I call it the spectrum of faith in a mm. way, you know? Mm. Sometimes you're moving one way, sometimes it feels like you're moving the other way, but in, in, in all uh, circumstances, the Lord is, is with us, intersecting our lives and wanting to draw us to himself as truth yeah. in that way. Anyway, that's what's been kind of mulling through my mind mm. a little bit. That... <laughs> you mentioned in the, the first service that uh, that great quote from St. Anselm. Mm. So I, I don't want to take it from it because it was a great quote, but I think sure. it really summarized. So <laughs> yeah. can you remember it? Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, um, one of my favorite saints is St. Anselm. And I realized, of course, All Saints Day is coming up after Halloween, isn't yeah, it? So St. Anselm, yeah. um, one of my favorite saints, and he had this idea that um, our faith is seeking understanding. I believe so that I might understand. And it's this posture of coming to the Lord, knowing he, you know, we can't even understand, begin to understand him, him on our own terms. You know, he reveals himself to us, and so we, we believe him and say, Lord, I, I do believe, and then help me to know what I'm believing, you know, who you are that I'm believing. And it's, understanding the Lord is not sort of like just understanding thermodynamics or something, like an idea. It's like you're, you're, you're knowing a person, and you know that person by, by spending time with them, by coming to know them more, and as, of course, they disclose themselves to you. So it's, it's uh, kind of a, in some ways, a a posture that Anselm gives us of, of knowing the uniqueness of who God is as opposed to just some other abstract idea. Does that mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love that. Mind? It was, it's one of those moments where as, as, when you're writing a sermon that, that your friend comes up with a quote and you think, I wish I'd had that in my sermon <laughs> because that really wrestles so beautifully with what I was, I was hoping to wrestle with that we often build our, our way of thinking from understanding to a point of belief. Uh, and, and really what we find in the New Testament is that we encounter Jesus and our belief leads us to understanding, exactly as Anselm says. Uh, but I do think it's worth us just confessing that's not how we've been taught, right? That's not how we're educated in, in, in almost any education system of the world. Uh, so there is a counterintuitiveness to, to the way of Jesus, which asks us to turn everything around. And hence why I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. Interestingly, by the way, the next verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you have seen me, Mm. you have seen the Father. So uh, so Jesus is holding very holistically to this idea. But anyway, reflections, thoughts, just complete disagreements. Uh, Anybody want to add any comment? I mean, even you can ask your question and we'll punt it to Phil next week. Like that's, uh, I noticed Phil's actually here, so he might ask a really <laughs> awkward question that we can punt to him, and that would be an interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, just a thought, a reflection, an observation. Uh, got a question just down, down here. And, and if you've also got a question, we've got two mics, so you can throw up your hand and we'll get that mic to you while we're, while we're hearing, so yeah, thank you. Cool, thank you. Um, so my question is kind of, you talked a little bit about kind of God in the Old Testament and Jesus and God being one kind of together, and I think about it in my life of having a lot of friends that maybe aren't Christian, they don't super associate with the faith, but they had experiences when they were younger at different churches or really knowing the God of wrath or just kind of more fear-based from the Old Testament. And when you were talking today, would it be kind of like explaining how, as a Christian, when you get baptized, you have your whole life that you had before. After you get baptized, you kind of decide to move forward, living your life in a new way, honoring God, or like however you live in Christ after that. But kind of like when Jesus came, it's almost like the baptism in that sense of everything God was before. That's part of the story. But moving forward after when Jesus and God are one 
you're moving forward with that perspective and like explaining Jesus and God to people now and the church now is that kind of, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this sermon and how to best explain it to people who maybe don't come from a life of being brought up in the church, if any of that makes sense. <laughs> Definitely a question for Phil, I think. Um, <laughs> the, uh, no, I, honestly, thank you for your question. And you, I, I'd be amazed if you're the only person in the room thinking that question. So I think it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, do you want to? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm actually just wondering if I can lean in on the clarification a little bit. So are you um, kind of wrestling with this idea that the, kind of the God we encounter in the Old Testament is, is different from the one we have in the New and in Jesus? Is, is that kind of? For me, like I was brought up primarily in the church. So a lot of this to me makes sense. I love the way that you deliver it because I think it puts a different spin, but I know a lot of people that I encounter in my day-to-day -day life that know that I'm Christian, that a lot of the questions they have are, God in the Bible sometimes seems very, uh, not to say angry, but you know, there's more of a fear than powering out of that is the perspective that they have from the Old Testament, whereas Jesus is seen to be very love and all this stuff. And you kind of mentioned how some people be like, Jesus is love, but you need to understand God. And if they are one, how to best kind of explain how there was all of these stories in the Old Testament, but if you put Jesus and God as one and Jesus at the center, it kind of is a different perspective and just like the best way to kind of explain the Old Testament versus New Testament when Jesus came into the mix and how that kind of changed things. I'm sorry if that's a really long question. <laughs> sure. Um, Everybody is just genuinely thinking, well, thank goodness you asked that question, uh, and they don't have to now, so please don't, don't yeah. apologize. Okay? I'm certainly sat here thinking, thank goodness I get to answer this. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that we have a bit of this temptation to think, and, and I'm, I'm going to say, not unjustifiably so, because there's a lot of difficult texts. Yes. Um, I think we have a bit of a temptation in our mind to think that... Um, that the God that we imagine, or that we think we see, can I put it that way, is different from the God who is in Jesus. Um, and we can, we can be tempted to read some of these things back on him. And I, I would argue, um, we create a God in our own image, in some ways, when we do that. Um, and that God had to come in Jesus to reveal who he, who he is like in a way that I don't think, I don't think anyone really saw that coming, you know. Um, but, I, but I don't think, and I, I, I'm hesitant to, to give ground at all on saying that, that God has changed or he's, he's morphed in some way, you know? What I would say is that um, when, when, when the Lord is pronouncing, could I say, for example, a, uh, a difficult judgment or something in the Old Testament? You know, I'm sure some of those are coming to mind. Um, it's tempting for us to say, oh man, that was not very just. You know, God is not very fair. That was not a loving thing for him to do, right? And <laughs> am I wading into a deep air? I would argue that's us reading it back on the Lord. It's us putting our place as the arbiter of truth. <laughs> um, when, when Jesus comes and reveals himself to us, we see, oh my goodness, God is not who I thought. Um, mm. And I have been, I have been creating... An, and if I can say it, an idol of God and worshiping that idol, idol maybe fervently, mm. and that's a false God. So when God says, you'll have no other God before me, um, a lot of us have been worshiping a false God. 
because we've not been worshiping the God as revealed in Jesus. If, is, that, is, that, is that at all helpful? I feel th- there's, there's a lot more conversation I would love to have with you all. I'm mm. very curious to hear David's thoughts on this as well. But I think, it's, I think it's tempting for us to stand in a place of we are deciding and evaluating what is true and we're putting that back on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, not knowing the whole circumstance, right? But also not in a position of when God is angry, it's a just anger. He, thank God he is angry at these things because I am too. Do you know what I mean? That there's injustice in the world and the Lord sees it and he says, I'm doing something about that. And that's how he acts out of a posture of love, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious how that sits, but I'm also curious your thoughts on that, David. I, I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. I, I would be tempted to say that there's two. One, one's a metaphor that comes to mind. I think sometimes what happens, you've had the experience where you're building a jigsaw and you're trying to figure out what the picture is that you're building. And I think one of the, this is the metaphor, by the way, where I think what Jesus does is he points out to us that the, the picture we thought we were building might not be the picture that we actually should be building. Um, I, I actually don't, let me make this as a statement. I'm not underplaying the, con- the, the conflict that's in this. I actually think the God you meet in the Old Testament is the God you meet in Jesus, right? I, 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 that, I think that's actually not actually as difficult as we think, but we've been trained to see a dichotomy. We've been trained to almost start at the beginning and read wrong, right? So many, many people's views of God, I, I say this with, let me say this gracefully, but it's not gonna sound gracefully. Many Christians' views of God are functionally pagan, Um, that we take an idea of what we think God is like and then we go look for it in the Bible. Really what I'm trying to counsel us from in this sermon is say the only way to do Christian theology is begin with Jesus. So what I would say to somebody reading the Old Testament is the God of the Old Testament is Jesus. So if, if your reading of the Old Testament doesn't sound like Jesus, just work from the premise, I'm probably reading this wrongly then. There's something I'm doing that I am projecting onto God Maybe it's just because that God's suiting what I think God is actually like. Jesus is, is, is just unbelievably offensive right, to us as Christians because he's offensive to our idols of God that we build. Right? We build our own idea of what we think God's like. And the reason we all get so mad at Jesus sometimes is because he's not like what he's supposed to be like. Like, Jesus, stop being like that. And I think the, the call for us as Christians is to go, no, that is what Jesus is like. It's going to be hard. Remember, Jesus was not roundly followed by everyone. In fact, some people didn't like him very much. Um, and, uh, you know, like there, and, and other understatements I have made, right? But let's just remember that God became flesh and we killed him, right? So, so God is, Jesus is offensive to us sometimes. He's going to, to shift us and, and challenge us. The way he's going to challenge us, however, is not what we think. We assume that the revelation of God will be terrifying and all of the kind of judgment and evil and all that sort of stuff. What you actually get when God is revealed is he is more graceful, more loving, more forgiving, more welcoming than we ever could have imagined. And it turns out that was more offensive to us yeah. than what we thought we were going to get. Yeah. So, so I think what I try and suggest is that just in terms of how you do your work reading the Bible is Jesus is your model. And when you read texts that your interpretation leads you to say, that doesn't sound like Jesus, don't stop reading. Right? Just, just, even if it just involves drawing a circle around that text and saying to yourself, there's work I need to do on that text because at the minute my reading of that text doesn't sound like Jesus, but my Christian confession is God is Jesus. So, so I, mean, I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of yeah. where I would sort of land on, on, on that. Yeah. So I would, yeah. can I just, 
I might yes, even yeah. fill that out a bit more and say, and God is more just than we thought. Yes. And the shocker of it all is that <laughs> he, he took it all on himself, mm. you know. Um, he bore all, I mean, goodness me, all of us in this room have things we wish we'd done better and done differently, you know. And we're, you know, what does justice look like here? And the, nobody mm. saw that coming, that God himself would be the one, you know, who received the just penalty in himself. So th- anyway, yeah. I, um, I think you sometimes we, you, you can kind of lay it on the Old Testament and not see that, that, that's as, that is, all of it is dealt with in Jesus. God bears it in himself because out of love for all mm. of us. Anyway, yeah. that's not an easy question. <laughs> I, I don't know if that kind of gives a bit more color on that at all or... Yeah, thanks. Just as we sort of land things yeah. then, let's, let's just do that. Actually, at some level, what we're wrestling with is, it's a challenge for us as a church, right? You know, one of our values, we've, our first value we've put forward is that we want to be Jesus-centered. But again, what, what we're at some level doing in this is theologically realizing that's our requirement as well, that we don't just put jesus center at the center of how we do church, but actually at how we think theologically. And, and so often, I think, the failure of church and, and the bad theology we encounter in church is because the God we're talking about doesn't sound like Jesus. So, you know, perhaps even one of the things we need to ask, following on from the question, is when we're reading biblical text or we're behaving in a particular way, the question for Christians isn't what do I think or what do I do, but where is Jesus in this? And, and how, do I, how do I find Jesus and how am I formed by Jesus in this? And if we allow our truths to compete with Jesus, I, I just don't think we'll end up in a good space. So for me, like I think, I say this as, a, as you know, one of the leaders of the church, our desire as a church should always be to be a church where people meet Jesus, but also to be a community where we unapologetically keep Jesus at the center of what we do, but also at the center of the lens through which we see everything. And that's about as close to a vision statement as you'll ever get from me. Right? Um, that that, that either, it's either about Jesus or let's not do it. <laughs> and, and at some level then, think about this, and let me just sort of bring us to, to this. I think, think about how the Bible talks about Jesus. Think about how the New Testament people talk about Jesus. They don't use the sort of language that we often do, do, do they? they? You know, we often talk about like, oh, no, I was in this situation and God was, you know, God came near. Or, or, we, say, or we say things like, oh, yeah, we had this prayer meeting and God turned up. None of that language is in the New Testament because the New Testament looks at God not as somebody far away, distant, and remote, but Jesus is flesh and comes, you know, I love the message translation of John 1, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. The biblical confession of God is that he is not far away. And, and I think then, perhaps there can be a tendency when we talk about theology and do what I've done today and do what David supported me in, you know, is to say it's all about Jesus. You could leave and think that's pretty narrow, that we've sort of shrunk down God into this very small notion. But I found the opposite to actually be true. Because rather than God being far off and distant and unknown to us, this confession of Jesus brings him, God, close, near, visible. Therefore, God is bigger, wider, and more expansive and mysterious and loves us than we've ever seen before. So, what do we know about God? We know Jesus. So what I want to do just to release us this morning is just to invite us 
to say the creed together. Because if you think about it, we do this every Sunday, but we state what we believe knowing that we don't understand it all, but confessing that God is revealed to us first and the journey moves from there. But David, I wonder if you'd lead us in sure. the creed. Yeah. Why don't we, we stand? Let's stand together. Maybe we can even pray the creed this morning through the language of Thomas. You know, I believe, Father, help my unbelief. Mm. There can be some of that in there, too. And show us where, where to find you in this, Lord, in Jesus. Let's say the creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.